Welcome back to the Mandate Podcast, a podcast where we encourage people towards deeper relationship through meaningful conversation. A podcast where you'll get to know people from the 605. Here's our latest episode. Ben Krush, always joined by my main man, Ryan, pros and cons, cons. What's up, bro? Ben, so good to be here. How are you today? I am fan-freaking-tastic. It's a really warm day for February today. Yeah, it's a warm It's a warm day. Uh, we like these days. I tell people a lot. Global warming is only good for <laughs> North Dakota and South Dakota, right? Because like all the other states have like winter sports. Yeah. Uh, so there's things to do in the winter, whereas like here in Sioux Falls, you just... Just not a lot of things to do here in the in the plains of South Dakota. Uh, obviously, on my side of the state, there is some things we want some snow for. But look, dude, I'm down for global warming. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's bringing controversy to the show already. Uh, we are here today at Trey Ministries again, as often are yep. at 900 West 11th Street in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. What do they do here, Ryan? I'll tell you what they do. You mean Sioux Falls or Trey Ministries? No, Trey Ministries. No, they're here for young people to gather. A great place for uh, young people to gather and learn about the Lord. And young people meaning like what ages? I'd say, you know, high school, college, young adults. Yeah, looking for community. Looking for community. Yep. Look up Sandy at Trey Ministries. Proud um, under the table sponsor of the Mandate Podcast. That's right. That's right. Happy to have her. Yep. Uh, who we got this week, Ben? Oh boy, Mandates. That's a good one. We have the Paul Parisian, or as you know him here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Paul Parisian. 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 Should just keep the French one. That was so beautiful. Well, that's one I'm gonna keep. But the people around here, they're not gonna be able to say that. Parisian. Parisian. Yeah, that's what they'll say, or they'll just be like, "How do you say your last name?" <laughs> Paul, what's up, bro? Hey, good. Welcome good to, to Mandate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, dude, you got an awesome story. Great testimony. Uh, you've been the face of Mission Haiti for quite a long time now. We're jacked to have you back in Sioux Falls. It's under um, some duress that you're here, right? Yeah. I'm sure you and your family would much rather be in Haiti, serving in the Mission Haiti uh, umbrella, actually hands and feet in Haiti, but we're dealing with a little bit of a civic crisis yeah for sure so you came back came back so um, i think before we get there paul let's let's get right into it bro all right where are you from how'd you get hooked up with mission haiti all right i'll try to give you the three five minute version of it then we, we got 45 minutes bro let's go i was born and raised in haiti um, and my father moved to the states before me and my three brothers uh, did, along with my mother. Uh, so that was a huge blessing because he got us to the States legally. And uh, especially back in the day, uh, that really was something that was very difficult to do. Uh, so off the bat, you know, even though when I was in Haiti, it was definitely difficult living there. My, um, myself and my brothers and my mother, we lived in a two-room house. Me and my brothers all lived in one bed and in one room. And my mother had the other room. 
Um, but, you know, I was born and raised with Christian parents. Amen. So right in and there, that was a huge blessing because at that time, uh, voodoo, which is um, practicing or worshiping um, of evil spirits, that was very huge in our town, um, in our neighborhood. So being born to Christian parents was a huge thing. I uh, went to church um, my whole life, and my mother really instilled in me and my brothers to uh, love Jesus and treat each other as well. Um, I didn't see my father. I, I saw my father for two years, from 85 up until 1996, when we joined him in South Florida. Um, saw him for two years, and, uh, but again, it was just a huge blessing, and I moved to the States. I was in sixth grade, and I knew no English. Uh, so definitely went through some difficulties, but again, having been raised in a poverty-stricken country, me and my brothers and mom, we were just happy and to be able to be in the States and live in the States. So being picked on for not knowing how to speak English, and, and then when I learned how to speak English, having an accent or um, you know, having some difficulties with school because it's not my first language, definitely went through some difficult times. But, you know, we were, um, we hit the lottery, man. So we're very, very blessed. And we always, me and my brothers, really had a pretty great attitude about life. Um, I stepped away from the faith and uh, did not really make the faith my own, even though I went to church on a, three times a week. I graduated and then I went to Florida State University and I chose Florida State University because at that time it was the number one party school <laughs> in the whole nation. All right. All right. <laughs> so I wanted to party um, and I did, unfortunately, and I did too much partying. Uh, but thankfully I graduated and it was the recession. So I moved back down to the middle of Florida, West Palm Beach and I was working at a lobster when I was in school, so I just kept on working there. Um, I couldn't find any teaching jobs, and I wasn't sure where I wanted my life to go. So worked at a lobster for a couple of years and in 2010. After the big earthquake hit Haiti, 10 days after that happened um, is when I met my wife. And a couple of days before is when I decided to make the faith my own, that I became a Christian. Met this gal from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and um, her name tag said Bethel, and I asked her what was her name, and she said that her name is Bethany, and I said, well, you tell me your name is Bethany, but your name tag that you're wearing says Bethel. What should I call you? What should I call you? And she said, well, you can call me whatever you want. So I said, well, can I call you tonight? <laughs> Boom. Wow. Mic drop. That's good. That's good. Oh, yeah. She walked away. <laughs> <laughs> she walked away. That so guy's like, trouble. Oh, I got I to gotta stay away from him. But man, she couldn't. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was working. <laughs> so we started taking uh, folks from a lobster to church. Uh, we were in a church plant in West Palm Beach in a predominantly Haitian neighborhood. And we knew. Um, so even before meeting me, um, Bethany wanted to be a missionary, a foreign uh, missionary, and uh, we got married, and I was a social studies teacher in middle school for a couple of years, and this organization in Mission Haiti 
um, came calling. Um, so that is how we got involved uh, with Mission Haiti uh, so that we could move down there so that I could be the director of this new school that they were starting that was going to be French and English. So they would have teachers from North America partner with teachers from Haiti and they needed somebody who could speak Creole, French, and English. And um, it so happens that this young gal from South Dakota married this Haitian guy, and they wanted to be missionaries. So we moved there in 2014. Wow. Okay, we got to go back. <laughs> we got a lot We got a lot there. I, I have to ask. <laughs> okay, you go first. Okay, let me ask first, because I, I, I'm just fascinated. I think other people will be fascinated. There's no way people from in and around here know what voodoo looks like. Yeah. What does that, how do you practice voodoo? Like you saw people practicing voodoo. Oh, for sure. What is that? I don't want to spend a ton of time on it because yeah. I don't think it's that important, but I think it, it's something that people need to understand. Like this is real deal. It's not like a cinema. Here. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. Um, and Haiti, it's definitely less than it was back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had a couple of firsthand experience with it. Um, and it plays a lot into uh, they can make a make some type of a potion and put it in your food um so that they can kill you so if you have a problem with your neighbor um say you have your goat and your neighbor steals your goat and you know that your neighbor steals your goat but there's no way for you to prove that you will go to a voodoo priest and say hey my neighbor stole my goat what can i do so that you know i can um, repay my neighbor for this terrible thing that they did to me. They will tell you lies and they give, they will tell you that this is what you have to do. A bunch of, um, voodoo things that, that really has no effect, does not work at all. Or they will tell you, well, this, this potion or, or this liquid you can put in their drinks, you can put in their food and they will eat it and they will die. Wow. Okay, so in Sioux Falls, we have like Catholics versus Methodists, not like <laughs> Christians versus voodoo. Yeah. Question then, just for listeners to get a better flavor for this. So what percent of people there are Christian versus practice voodoo? And then we'll kind of move on to something else. It's complicated. Okay. Um, if you look uh, for the stats, you will see about, about 80-ish percent of Haitians would say that they are Christians. Okay. Uh, but a lot of that, um, a lot of s- some folks that would say that they are Christians, they do also practice voodoo as well. So my first hand experience with it is one of the only times that I was sick, I was maybe five, six years old, and uh, I was close to dying. So people were telling my mother to go to the voodoo priest so that they could do something for me. And my mother said no. Um, she, had, she got a pastor to pray over me, and um, I was hallucinating. I was in a bed. I was sleeping in my mother's bed, and I woke up, and I was in a window, almost trying to get out of the window. I kid you not. It's insane talking about it. I think I was just, I think I was hallucinating, but uh, my mother believed that some, um, some folks were jealous and they did some voodoo stuff um, to me, but pastor prayed over me and I really have never been sick um, since. Wow. wow. All right. I cut you off your question, Ryan. What was your question? No, I was going to go to the voodoo spot. So we hit it. Very good. 
All right. So how long have you been in Sioux Falls now? I have been in Sioux Falls for less than two weeks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All (laughs) right. Welcome. Fresh and fresh. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So me and my wife, we have been living in Haiti since 2014. Okay. Um, So we, again, I went there to be the, just a school director of Mission Haiti. And then about two months in, I also became the the director of Mission Haiti's uh, school program. Um, And then less than a month, I became the Haiti director of Mission Haiti. And about three years ago, I became the executive director of Mission Haiti. Okay. So at at this point, then you're, you're a month at most removed from Haiti. Yep. So what was that process? How did it look like? I mean, at what point did you decide I need to go away from here? Yeah. So uh, Mission Haiti from 2014, it really has grown. So now um, we have close to 330 employees and about 98% of our employees uh, are Haitian. And uh, we run eight schools. We have about 2,500 students in our sponsorship program that we help go to school. We have a, um, an orphanage that has 13 kids in there. So it's very small, family-style type of orphanage. We have an elderly home uh, that has uh, eight elders, and we're growing one. We'll be able to have 20 elders that we take care of. We have evangelism, um, and we have a medical clinic as well. Um, so the Mission Hate organization uh, really has grown since 2014. But unfortunately, with that growth also comes a lot of jealousy as well. Um, locally, with how it's grown, you know, who we choose in leadership spots and um, who is on a board in Haiti. And unfortunately, what's also happened in Haiti is in the past two years, there's been a lot of political and economic turmoil in Haiti. The president was assassinated in July, in early July. Um, our president was assassinated while he, went, while he was sleeping in the middle of his home. So they were able to come in and kill him, um, badly injuring his wife, and she almost died. And no guards were killed, were injured. Well, that was just before two years of instability, where uh, there's roadblocks left and right. There's kidnappings left and right. So more and more as Haiti... Uh, got unstable so also it did it embolden some of our local guys that are that are in our neighborhood where me and my wife live where we had eight foreign missionaries living there they also became more emboldened as well where I had been receiving death threats to my life specifically for the past five years but for the past two years, it became more and more constant. Rocks were thrown inside of our compound where we stayed as well. Someone would ask me for money. I would say no. That night, we would hear rocks in our thin roof. We, will, we would talk to someone, and then it would stop. But more and more, the threats became more constant, um, where they would threaten when we, if we would have short-term missionaries coming. They, they said that they would do things to them or they would threaten my wife and they would threaten my kids. Um, So unfortunately, as Haiti became more unstable, it just gave them more power to say, hey, you guys are here. You guys are functioning. You guys have a medical clinic and all this other stuff. But me specifically, 
I do not have a paycheck that is coming to me on a monthly or weekly basis. So in order for you to function, in order for you to keep this ministry going, you have to give me money whenever I want it, whenever I need it. And I'm not that guy, uh, first of all, because I answer to a higher power. Um, and third, fourth of all, is I really believe that you have to work for, for what you get. And we've been blessed with a lot of awesome, great donors, specifically from Sioux Falls. And they work hard. And they send money specifically for a specific arm of our ministry. If they send it for the medical clinic, it has to be spent for the medical clinic. If they send it for a student, it has to be spent for a student. And it cannot ever should be spent just just for us to function, just to pay these local guys and um, that want to strong arm the ministry. So we had rocks thrown into our compound repeatedly. Um, my two-year-old son, the last time that it happened, my two-year-old son was in the middle of the courtyard at about eight, nine o'clock at night, and rocks and bottles came flying in uh, where it almost hit him and our, and our missionaries and my wife. So decided to send them um, back to the States, and then I joined them four days later. I went back, and that's when the 17 missionaries were kidnapped. Um, so then I only stayed for a week, and we have decided that we will be living here while I still serve as the director of Mission Haiti. Paul, would you say that things have always been a little bit lopsided when it comes to what I talked about before, the, the civic unrest, but the earthquake multiplied that? It for sure had. It was another thing that did not help the situation. So um, you're talking about the earthquake that happened um, in August. Uh, so after the president got assassinated, we had rocks thrown, we had rocks thrown in our compound for four days uh, within a week. And then the earthquake happened, and it literally shook the ground and also shook our world as well. Um, where we were living was we were not able to live there anymore because of the all of the damages. Uh, definitely PTSD. Uh, the houses were still shaking when we had to move back in there because there was a tropical storm. So it was another thing that, again, economically just less and uh, more, it made it more and more for people to have the means that they need to have. Uh, so unfortunately, Haiti has just been continued to be to have all of these dev devastating, whether it's economic, political, or hurricane, or an earthquake that continues to cripple the country, makes it so difficult for uh, to move forward. Yeah. Quick pause. We appreciate you listening to this week's guest on the Mandate Podcast. To support the Mandate Podcast. Please, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Also, like and subscribe to the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at MandatePod or shoot us an email at Mandate.Pod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. So you are raising your family, right? All, all of your kids, essentially. No, not essentially. 
truthfully, were raised in Haiti. Yep. Every single one. Yep. And you are living with the people that you are serving. Yep. Correct? Yep. And the people you're staffing, administrating to, all of that. What was it like? I mean, you're not the only one going through this terror Mm -hmm. that's happening. You're watching your kids go through it, your wife. Like, that's got to be hard as a leader to bear the weight of, forget about their jobs, just their lives. Yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with that? You are getting there, Ben. Um, Getting me all in my feelings already. You know, as a Haitian kid that was born and raised in Haiti, moved to the States, uh, got educated, and then moved back. You know, you know, I, I have the dream job. I was able to go back to my country and be the leader of this organization, this very good organization who has tremendous support. And Mission Haiti is growing. Uh, kids are learning. Uh, people um, are able to go to a medical clinic and seek help, and they don't have to go to a voodoo priest, but they can go and go see a doctor instead of a witch doctor. Um, elders are being taken care of, but also along that time, you know, I normalized living in fear for, for the past five years, my wife never knew. And some of our board members never knew to the degree that I was normalizing living in fear, where for sure for the past two years, there's not a night that I went to bed without thanking man are people going to come in and try to break in and maybe steal the funds that we have there or throw rocks or do something or kidnap me or something like that and man i just internalized that and i normalized that you know um i don't recommend it it was definitely not smart But I even kept that away from my wife, Mm. where it wasn't up until um, after the earthquake happened and threats towards my life and towards my wife's life and our kids and even some of those missionaries that we have coming in. And then the earthquake happening. One night, I essentially just broke down and spoke to my wife and told her that I'm scared. Mm. Um, That I'm scared for my life, that I love this work, um, that I love what I do. It's just such a huge blessing. But I was okay with with leaving her and the kids behind. At that point, when I had that conversation with her, it was okay for me that maybe that my life would be taken and somehow I would be martyred and there was a big chance that that would happen and I was ready to leave them um, for this work. Which, again, I, I love what I do. Uh, but I was ready to leave my wife and our three kids 
um, because of the level of threat that I knew that we were facing. It's very hard to do good work in Haiti. Um, it's very difficult because there's so much corruption. And what we've been able to do within Mission 80 for the past eight years is any donor that gives any money, you know for sure that those money will be used exactly how it's supposed to be used. Well, when we stepped in in 2014, unfortunately, that was not all true. Um, and it was not to the fault of our founder. It, it's, it's just how difficult it is to do good work in Haiti. So as more and more, we made sure that things became legitimate within Mission Haiti and how funds are, are being spent, making sure that everyone gives us receipts for everything and opening up a, opening up a bank account and doing transactions online instead of giving cash, which is unheard of in Haiti. But also, so did the hatred also because it became less and less it became more and more difficult to actually steal money from the mission. And for, to say this lightly, I really, I was not very popular amongst a small group of people in our town, in our, in our area, um, where they would send their little goons or whatever to come and ask me for money, and I would say no, and more and more those threats became uh, more and more constant, where I was ready to lose my life for this ministry. And, you know, after I told my wife that I'm scared, that is when really I started the healing process of actually not keeping those difficulties away from my wife, from our leaders in Haiti from our board members here in the States, that we told them that there's a possibility that maybe in three years we may not be living in Haiti anymore um, because, you know, we have three kids that were born and raised in Haiti. They are Haitian-American kids. They speak Creole. They speak French. And we love their lives. We love the um, not having to worry uh, if we have a big TV or, or not. But then it was getting to the point where I was – I just became more and more paranoid. Paul, it's, I think there's some really good um, examples for our listeners, especially our male listeners in what you said, uh, because I don't think you have to be uh, a director overseas to have a transparent conversation with your wife. Mm -hmm. And there's something to learn from that. I think there's a lot of husbands that are fearful, whatever their fear is, right? It could be death threat. It could be being ousted as a fraud. Yeah. Uh, their their addictions, yeah. whatever it may be. What is what does that conversation look like, right? It took you to the end, right, to essentially come out and say this to your wife yeah. that you're scared for your life and you need something to change. Yeah. So what is walk us through that conversation? I mean, just so vulnerable, right? You know, and within those five years, and especially those the past two years, I've always told myself, you know, I will for sure let my wife know, I let the board know when I think it's too much. Because I knew that it would definitely change the way that we see things. I mean, you know, when a mama bear becomes a mama bear, especially when people are threatening her two-year-old kid, 
that they might kidnap them, that they know when they go out to eat. I knew that when she knew that, our life in Haiti would not be as rosy as, as, as she knew that it was. She for sure knew that there were difficulties. She heard those rocks when they were being thrown, but to the level, to the depth, to the, um, the specifics that those guys told me to my face, uh, she had no idea. So I had to be vulnerable with her, and it was extremely difficult. Because as a father, as a man, you're supposed to protect your family, right? Um, you're supposed to make sure that everything is good, everything is right. But then, you know, um, we serve a God that said that it is not good for man to be alone, right? There's a reason why he made Eve, because um, in a marriage, we are not complete, you know? Um, I was unfortunately disregarding or not trusting my wife as much as I should have to know and realize that she should know this or she needs to know this. And she would kind of know when something would happen during the day and I would just be super quiet and a little bit shorter uh, um, when I should. But when I couldn't anymore, I'm so glad that I finally just broke down and just were vulnerable and just let her know because We, are, we were raising those kids together, right? And it's not fair. Say they kidnapped me and they did kill me, right? It's not fair for her to have to raise those kids alone without being a part of that decision. Mm. Whether it was going to happen or not, I was making that decision by myself for her to be a single mother, that I might lose my life, she's going to be okay, she's going to raise those kids by herself. That she also, she had to know, and she had to say, okay, I am okay with you losing your life. I am okay with being a single mother to our three kids. While I was trying to protect her, I was being extremely unfair to her. So how has the transition to Sioux Falls been for your family at this point? I mean, how are you doing? It's been hard, uh, but it's also a blessing as well. So my wife and I, um, again, guys, I have the most beautiful, smart wife in the whole wide world. I definitely picked the best one in Florida uh, from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Definitely the best person from South Dakota. Um, only one there were probably in, in Florida at that point, but definitely pick the best one. Um, where was I? <laughs> <laughs> you get lost in thought. Uh, Think about your beautiful, gosh. smart, awesome wife. Man, she's legit. She so really we were talking about your transition. Yes. It's so from my perspective, um, I'm more relief uh, than grief. Grief. My wife is a little bit more grief than relief. As far as leaving Haiti, leaving our home, um, where our kids went to school, um, you know, she's the medical clinic director. 
um, that was that was our life, and uh, and we're planning on being in Haiti for the rest of our lives, you know. Um, so there's a lot of guilt also that we have been dealing with, where the orphanage, the Mission Haiti orphanage, is about two steps away from where we lived in the past eight years. So the orphanage director, that's like my sister, mm. our leaders, our neighbors. Um, those are friends. Those are neighbors. You know, those are people we love. These are people that we've done life with for the past eight years. And now Haiti is very difficult to live in. And specifically, there are specific threats, uh, um, attacks to us. But we can leave. We can leave the hard situation and they cannot. So that's been part of the grie grieving process for me and my wife to deal with the guilt of being able to up and leave when our leaders, who are still facing threats, um, who are still facing duress, they can't leave, but we can. Mm. But what we did is we went to a three-week counseling retreat called Alongside and Michigan Kalamazoo. I would highly recommend it to any ministry leader in any capacity, pastors, missionaries. I would highly recommend going to that missionary uh, retreat where um, I made a half joke when I was there that I'm not a therapy guy. <laughs> and I had never been to therapy before. I'd never uh, done counseling before. Um, my wife was my wife was telling me that we need to go to this. And then I was worried about money. I was worried about the three weeks. Was I going to be able to still talk to folks in Haiti or, or not? Um, of course she's way smarter than me. And, um, I was like, all right, we're, we're going to go. And we went and that was, I, I wish I did that four years ago. I wish that I went to this counseling retreat four years ago, though we are still grieving. And we are still um, having to deal with guilt, um, having to deal with forgiveness, right? Uh, we still have to forgive those guys who threw those rocks at us, who threw those rocks at our two-year-old. We have to forgive those guys. Um, we don't have a choice as Christians. We have to forgive them. And what sucks is that we have to forgive them without reconciliation. Um, those guys probably will never say sorry. Mm -hmm. We will never have a chance to speak with them and tell them the pain that they cause us, but we still have to forgive them. And we still have to continue to try to do good to them. Um, so being here in Sioux Falls, we had to, we had to decide whether we're going to move to Florida uh, or Sioux Falls. And we chose Sioux Falls so that, we can um, continue to be, um, continue to serve with Mission Haiti. It'll be more difficult to serve with Mission Haiti if we're in Florida. Um, we're looking for a home right now and um, dealing with the cold, but definitely just blessed to be able to still work with Mission Haiti, but also talking with our kids um, when they cry um, about missing their home as they're losing Creole and and French, and as we as a family continue to grieve the loss of not being able to serve in Haiti right now and having to leave 
our brothers and sisters, but still, of course, um, try to continue to be that advocate for them here in Sioux Falls. Paul, I got a couple questions. First one is, I think it's very valuable for our listeners to hear, how do you forgive someone without reconciliation? How are you going to do that? Um, you know, man, I have, I have just been so blessed. I, I, I really have, man. How I became a Christian is when that earthquake happened in 2010. I, I left Haiti in 96, and um, I had all the blessings. Went to school, graduated, and me and my brothers would always say that we would go, we would go back to Haiti and we would do something, and we never did. I didn't go back up until 09 when my um, grandmother died, and I, and I went with my mother. So from 96 to 09 was the first time that I went back to Haiti after promises, right? So I finally went back, and I saw the level of poverty that Haiti had. You know, I was a man then. It just smacked me in the face, right? And I said, I'll be right back. And from 09 up until the earthquake happened, I never went back. And then the earthquake happened, and close to five, 600,000 people died. My cousin that I grew up with in Haiti died in the earthquake. Not only that, but she also lost, um, she, she also died with her twins, that were less than two years old. And I was just cursing God. Like, why? Why are you going to let this happen? Why Haiti? We've been through so much crap. Why are you going to let this earthquake happen? My cousin died. Why? So just cursing God, cursing God. And then I turned on the television and um, Innocent Cooper from CNN is in Haiti and uh, he is talking to locals in Haiti live that just lost their homes, that uh, just lost their wives or their brothers or their cousins. And what are they doing? They are praising God's name. They are singing songs in Creole that I can understand how great thou art in Creole. And I'm over here living comfortably in the States and I'm over here cursing God. But they're over here praising God. So it's insane. But from then on, I have been trying to do my best to be the best Christian, to love people as much as I can. But Haiti is a very, very difficult place. It's a very difficult place to continue to do good. And, you know, these men, I can see their faces right now, four of them that some of them are, are our neighbors, some of them have, have kids still in our schools. Um, one of them, we just helped marry his brother last week in our group weddings that we do. I can see their faces right now. And I've had conversations with them in the past. They're still human. Mm-hmm. They're still people. And they do need to realize that they cannot do this. Um, whether they believe they're right or not, it is not right to do harm unto others. It is not right to get your way by any means necessary. And they need to do that, but I, I cannot force that upon them. Um, I, I cannot put myself in a prison because me not forgiving them is putting myself in, in a prison. Locking myself and my emotions and my hatred just continue to grow. 
So when I forgive them, when I still want their kids to be educated, when I still want their brother to have a chance to be married or whatever, you know, that is me living and not being in that prison of hatred um, because I cannot control their emotions. I cannot control their arms from not throwing that rock. But what I can control is my, it is how I act towards them. So that's unfortunately one reason why I'm not living in Haiti right now. Because, first of all, got huge PTSD. Of course. With like um, thinking that someone's going to come get me from whenever. Um, but also having my children there and my wife, you know, what. What would I do if those rocks actually hit one of my kids, if they hit my wife? You know, what would I do? Um, so part of that healing process as well is taking myself out of that situation so that I can heal properly, um, so that I can do good, so that I can love those guys, um, either directly or indirectly. That's good. So, so moving forward, Paul, how does, how does that look for for you and how, how can our listeners help mission Haiti and how does that all come together? Yeah. So, um, we, we are very blessed to have the people, the folks, the true heroes, um, who are our leaders in Haiti. Um, our modern mission Haiti is to love Jesus, love others and make disciples. And we do that by building up future Christian leaders for the betterment of the country. Now, if we look at Haiti as a whole, we're going to get discouraged because right now we technically don't even have a president. Um, and we're going to say, hey, there's no hope for Haiti. And unfortunately, even if we look in our town, in our neighborhood, you can say that as well. When you know that there's four guys there that could force the director to move out of the country, you can say that as well. But we have the bravest men and women right now, every single day, who are facing those threats who are still preaching that message. And that is our motto, is to invest in those leaders. And they are doing a darn good job. Um, we're blessed that now with technology, uh, that my, my, um, nine, my eight to four, eight to five, is talking with them, uh, making sure that everything's running well, uh, making sure that we have receipts for everything. And uh, we're very, very blessed that these men and women, as long as we continue um, to support them, they are the ones that are continually making that change. Um, so, again, even though all of this happened, um, there's some things that I would change. I would tell my wife sooner, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I still consider myself the luckiest person that I still get to be the leader of this organization, especially as a Haitian American kid that was born and raised in Haiti. Paul, we're, we're eking up on the, the end of our time, yeah. but, I, but I want to blur some lines here between Sioux Falls, South Dakota and Haiti. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think Haiti as a brand has a, has a pretty good, awareness here in Sioux Falls. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of organizations that are supporting Haiti. Mm -hmm. I hear it in a lot, especially a lot of church organizations. Yeah. And that's good. I'm, I'm happy about that. 
why does the world need Haiti? And then the opposite question is, what does Haiti need from the world? Mm. Man, that's such a good question, Ben. You know, Haiti is the first black republic. Um, And I, I believe when Haiti succeeds, I believe that the world succeeds. Because you have this great story of the greatest slave rebellion in the history of the world. Um, But it's also been marred by corrupt leaders left and right. Um, And what Haiti needs from the world is to let those leaders in Haiti be that change and make that change. And I'm, I, I'm even at peace with this Haitian-American kid not living in Haiti right now so that you can know and you know that our leaders in Haiti, our Haitian men and women, they are the ones that are going to be that change. Because you know what? As unpopular as this may sound, because I have the opportunity to, um, because I can, um, I will be, if you call it selfish, I will be selfish and leave Haiti so that I can make sure that I can be a father to my children and be a husband um, to my wife. You know, but our leaders, that is their homes, that is where they are. They are the ones that will be that change. Um, so praying, partnering um, with Haitians, and again, we are so blessed to have so many people here in Sioux Falls churches that partner with us, we will continue to partner with our brothers and sisters um, in Haiti because they ultimately are the ones that are making this happen and they will be that change that will finally um, turn Haiti into a success story. But that doesn't happen without God. It really doesn't, man. Like all things. Mm. Like all things. Paul, we're... People are going to likely want to reach out, uh, want to hear more about Mission Haiti, how they can support either you, your family, uh, or the mission in general. How can people do that? Uh, for me, specific prayer. Uh, prayer. Um, you know, I, I, I hope to be back in Haiti uh, very soon. Uh, so I'll still be making trips back and forth, um, spend maybe four or five days there. And, you know, that first trip back is going to be emotionally draining for me. Um, for me to be in the right mindset because, um, you know, I, I really don't know how my anxiety is going to flare up when I get there. Uh, so prayers for me is greatly appreciated as I continue to uh, try to lead this organization. Um, you can um, visit mission-haiti.org or send me an email, paul, P-A-U-L, at mission-haiti.org and I would love to sit down with you. I love to talk about Haiti. Um, I love to um, learn, and I would love to let you know more about Mission Haiti. And we also have a banquet that is going to be happening at the district the 21st of April, Thursday night from 530 till around 8, 9 o'clock. So if you do not know anything about Mission Haiti, it's a great opportunity to learn more about Mission Haiti, uh, what we do, and um, yeah. it's awesome. Well, 
super impactful message from Paul. Greatly appreciate you being here, Paul. Great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Appreciate your time. It's great to meet you. Yeah. You Thank well. you, Paul. We'll see you next time on Mandate. Mandate does not exist without your continued support or the fact that you, KPP, keep pressing play. Another great episode of the Mandate Podcast is behind us. But here's something you can look forward to. Check out next week's podcast. Also, like and subscribe. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Find us on Instagram at MandatePod. Or send us an email, mandate.pod at gmail.com. Who knows? We might reference your email or call you out in episode. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash MandatePod. There's three easy ways to support monthly basis and all of the funds go right back into this podcast. KPP. Keep pressing play. See you next time on Mandate.